This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patron, Conrad Persley, for already donating. For more stories, or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com or our new Twitter, at voiceofallmtg. And now, Voice of All presents The Survivors of Sky Rock, Episode 4 of The Battle for Zendikar. Seagate, Zendikar's foremost city, has fallen to the Eldrazi, and Gideon holds himself partially responsible for its fall. He left the fight briefly to go to Ravnica and collect Jace Beleren, hoping the Mind Mage would be able to solve the puzzle of the Hedrons and help to turn the tide. When Gideon and Jace returned to Zendikar, Seagate was beyond saving. Gideon helped an injured Commander Vorik evacuate, along with a small band of survivors, all that remained of Zendikar's greatest city. The group made camp atop a massive, high-floating hedron, and soon after, Jace left with the merfolk Jorien on a journey to the Eye of Ugin to look for more clues about the power of the hedrons. Jace tried to persuade Gideon to accompany him, but Gideon refused to leave the Zendikari for a second time. Their survival is the most important thing to him now, though he does not know how he will ensure it. We must collect our strength. We must regroup. We must survive. Commander General Vorik's orders. The directives Gideon had sworn to serve. Of those, survival was the most daunting. Survival had never been straightforward on Zendikar, but recently it had become all the more elusive. Survival on this plane, in this time, in the face of these monsters, demanded patrols, fortifications, weapons, healing bombs, food, water, shelter, warmth, the list went on. So, Gideon was taking it one step at a time. Right now, it was the water that he was working on. With help from the core, Abina, he was in the process of repositioning the nearest floating rock waterfall so that its precious stream of life-giving water would rain down onto the far end of the Hedron camp, where the survivors could safely and easily access it. All clear! Gideon called out to Abina, who was balancing on the thin lip of the waterfall rock, which was currently too far away and turned in the wrong direction, pouring buckets of water down into an expansive canyon where it couldn't be reached or collected. The Corps had secured four ropes that trailed from the waterfall to the main massive hedron camp. Gideon held two of the ropes, one in each hand. To his right, a merfolk and another core braced themselves, cinching the third rope. And to his left, three humans clutched the fourth rope. Ready when you are! Gideon nodded to the others. All right, here we go. Heave! He hefted the ropes, walking backward, planting one foot behind him and then the other. The others pulled two, and together they lugged the waterfall closer to Skyrock. That's it! Almost there! 
Sweat formed at his temples as he gave the great stone another yank. The feeling of exertion was one of the most satisfying he knew, and the rush of a crisp, Zendikari breeze past his ears wasn't bad either. His appreciation for this world had grown immeasurably in just the short time he had spent atop Skyrock. The view from up here was unmatched. In another life, Gideon could have seen himself living here, spending his days climbing, hunting, exploring, and adventuring. It was easy to see why so many loved this world, why so many fought for it. Hold it there! I'm going to turn it around! Brace! Gideon tapped into his reserves of power and grounded himself to the Hedron. He became as immovable as the thickest of Zendikar's trees. The others tightened their grips and steeled themselves as Abina flung another rope with a thick hook out to a third floating rock. With a wide stance, Abina pulled on that rope, using it as an anchor to turn the waterfall around on its axis. She aligned the floating fall so that the stream of water faced the camp. I think I've got it! A cheer rose up from behind, and Gideon turned to see that most every survivor at Skyrock, who was free and able, had gathered around to watch. Their longing was palpable. They were anticipating that first quenching swallow of water. We have some thirsty people over here, Abina. Let's bring them some water. Another cheer. With pleasure. Abina detached the fifth rope and knelt low on the hedron so she could guide its path. Bring it in! This is going to shake us. Hold on. A final yank heaved the waterfall straight over Skyrock. The water pounded down on the far end of the hedron. The entire rock shifted at the weight of the turbulent stream. But both the din and the vibrations were drowned out as the Zendikari raced to splash under the stream, cheering, drinking, and singing. Thank you, Gideon. We're lucky to have you here. Abina climbed down from the rock. It's you we're lucky for. Nice work with the ropes. I think you earned this. He handed her a cup. Cheers! She raised the cup and strode toward the stream. Good. This was good. Gideon thought. They had water now. They needed water to survive. That meant they were one step closer. He doesn't want you wasting your time with this. Tazri's voice sounded from behind. She must have come from Vorik's tent. That's where she had been spending most of her time, talking and planning with the commander as three healers watched over him. The purpose of Tazri's vigilance was obvious to Gideon. If the persistent coughing that he heard from the commander meant what Gideon feared, Eldrazi corruption, then soon enough, Tazri, Vorik's most trusted advisor, would take the commander's place. That would mean a lot of changes for the survivors of Skyrock. And for Gideon. Tazri had been cold toward him ever since Vorik had taken Gideon's suggestion over hers during their evacuation. It had been Gideon's idea for the survivors to retreat up to the top of the floating hedron. Tazri had wanted them to push on and evacuate further. Gideon still believed his had been the correct course of action, but he no longer wanted to argue with Tazri. He needed to earn her trust. Tazri, I have an extra cup. Do you want some fresh water? Gideon turned, making sure to keep smiling. Their time would have been put to better use, preparing to continue the evacuation. They are preparing. This will help. 
it will be easier to fill their canteens. They were fine filling them down at the river. You used, what, six healthy, strong people who could have been out there hunting. They might have felled a bailiff, or even two by now. We need to collect rations. Commander Vorix orders. We need water, too. Not to splash around and play in. Tazri waved at the Zendikari, who were still dancing in the stream. This is a waste of time. Gideon couldn't help but grin at the sight. Keeping spirits high is never a waste of time. I know what you're doing. Tazri narrowed her eyes. The glow of the halo she wore around her neck seemed to intensify. You're trying to make this place comfortable. Trying to find excuses to stay. You're waiting for him to come back. That other stranger. The one who is like you. Jace. She was talking about Jace. This was not the first time Tazri had hinted that she knew Gideon was a planeswalker. I heard you arguing with him. And I heard you lose. Gideon bristled. He hadn't lost. He wanted Jace to solve the puzzle of the Hedrons. He might have preferred that Jace had waited to go to the Eye of Ugin until things were more stable here, but he had agreed with the general plan. You can't make these people wait here for him to get back. It's too dangerous. Do you have any idea how long he'll be gone? Do you know how far away Akum is? Gideon did, but she didn't give him the chance to answer. No, you don't. You're not from here. I know about you, about him. Neither of you belongs on Zindakar. And you have no right to come here and put these people, my people, in danger. By the time she finished, she was leaning in, her fingers stabbing the armor on his chest. Gideon held up his hands. He wouldn't lie to her. That wasn't the way to establish trust. You're right. I'm not from this world. He took a step back, giving Tazri some space. This was his chance to explain. He needed her to understand. But I do know Zendikar. I know it well. I've crossed its seas and climbed its mountains. I have seen its sun rise and set countless times. I've traveled to and battled on nearly every continent. And I will continue to fight. I care greatly for this land, and even more for its people. I am here only to help. Tazri surveyed him, as though taking him in for the first time, really looking. Gideon stood tall, his expression earnest, willing her to see how much he meant each word. Then you'll stop interfering. Vorik knows what's best. I know what's best. And it's not that. Tazri waved in the direction of the waterfall. That's bad, Gideon. Don't you see? It gives the people a false sense of security. It makes them think that they can call this place home when they can't. They're not safe here. At any moment, the swarms from Seagate might descend on us. At any moment, we might be forced to fight for our lives again. So few survived the first time. How many do you think will survive a second assault? Survival was not easy. If you want what is best for these people, as you say you do, then help them hunt. Help them collect rations. Help them prepare to continue the evacuation. 
That's their only chance of survival. A coughing fit from the direction of Vorik's tent drew both their attention. It's what Vorik wants. Tazri turned swiftly on her heel and strode toward the tent. <laughs> Gideon paced at the far north end of Skyrock, the din of the waterfall barely audible in the distance. He was waiting for the rest of his hunting party. The same six who had helped him pull in the waterfall would now help him track a Narlid, or a Baloth if they were lucky. He was impatient. They were losing light, and Tazri was wrong about the waterfall. The waterfall was good. The water was good. Survival was the directive, and Gideon had acted accordingly. The water would help the Zendikari survive, whether it was for one more night, one more week, or one more month. The longer, the better. He disagreed with Tazri, and with Commander Vorik for that matter. He thought they should stay. Not only because of Jace, though Tazri wasn't wrong that Gideon wanted to wait for Jace's return, the Mind Mage wouldn't be gone as long as Tazri thought. It would be a long journey to Akum, undoubtedly, but Jace would most likely planeswalk back to the camp after he found what he needed at the Eye. That would cut the total distance and time in half. And with the information Jace found, Gideon hoped their chances of survival would soar. The promise of the Hedron's power was the hope he clung to. If the Zendikari could wield that power, perhaps they would actually survive the evacuation that Vorik and Tazri wanted them to make. Gideon couldn't protect them out there in the wilderness the same way he could here on the Hedron. At least here they were all in one place, and he knew where they were. At least here they had access to food, they were building shelters, and they had water. If the goal was to survive, Gideon didn't think they should leave. So how long could they stay? He looked north in the direction of Seagate. Just the top of its lighthouse was visible from here. What were the Eldrazi doing? Were they still clambering over its walls and spreading their corruption across the rocks? Or were they on the move, as Tazri suggested? How fast did they travel? How long would it take them to reach this floating hedron? How many would come? How many could Gideon hold off? If they came at a slow enough trickle, he could dispatch them one by one before they reached the encampment. He could do it alone. No one else need risk their life. He would fight the whole blasted lot of them one by one if he had to. But if they came in a group... Hurry up, Jace. Gideon! The voice came from above, startling Gideon. For just a heartbeat, he thought, hoped, prayed it was Jace. But it was far too soon. Of course it wasn't Jace. Gideon! Gideon took a step back as an enormous blue and white manta descended from above and hovered an arm's length in front of him. The elf on its back looked slightly out of place, but not uncomfortable. She knelt tall, her back straight. Her arm was raised, holding a spear. Sebel, what is it? Trouble! Get on! Gideon didn't question the Skyrider. She was the camp's only patrol stationed in the air, and she had been the alarm system that had saved them from a potential Eldrazi attack more than a handful of times already. He climbed aboard. There's a party coming in from the south, and they're being tailed by an Eldrazi. 
getting an exhaled or relieved breath. If they were coming from the south, then whatever Eldrazi was tailing them wasn't part of the swarm from Seagate. There was still time. It's a flyer! And it's big, Gideon. Gideon refocused. Even if it wasn't the swarm, it was still an Eldrazi, one who would have to be destroyed. He gripped the back of Sebel's belt as the manta surged forward. Take me there. I think they're more refugees. They looked pretty beaten up from what I saw. Then let's make sure the last leg of their journey is as pleasant as it can be. This would be the second group of refugees Skyrock had welcomed in that many days. The last party of refugees was a group of Kor who had been found by a hunting party, wandering around in shock after having seen Seagate. They had come from Akum. They had traveled across two continents and the sea, all because Seagate was supposed to be a sanctuary. That was the word that had spread across most of the world, according to the Kor. They promised that there were more coming from all over, and here was more proof. All these Zendikari were fleeing to a sanctuary that did not exist. As the manta circled under a large, broken hedron, Gideon caught his first glimpse of the giant Eldrazi Sebel had warned him of. It was a low flyer, with strikingly blue tentacles, and it was undulating along just above the treetops, winding its way between the vines that dangled down from the hedrons above. Its course was set on a party in the distance, just as Sebel had said. They didn't seem to be aware of the danger they were in. How close can you get me? How close do you want to be? Sebel kicks the manta's side, spurring it into a dive, angling straight for the Eldrazi. As the manta swooped, Gideon unfurled his surl. Sebel's pass brought them close enough to reach it with a solid thrust of her spear. As the point of her spear punctured the Eldrazi's side, the four blades of Gideon's Searle slashed its back, slicing it open in four places. But that was not enough damage to slow it down. Incoming! A panicked voice called out from below. One of the refugees, a human woman with long, silver-gray hair. She had seen the Eldrazi. The woman's agitation seemed to attract the monstrosity. It picked up its pace. The refugees broke into a run. Another pass! Hurry! On her second pass, Sebel flew even closer than the first time, so close that Gideon could smell the Eldrazi's freshly exposed innards. He lashed out ahead with his surl, and gore splattered out from four more slices of its side. But the injuries weren't slowing it down. He had to slow it down. He whipped his surl again, this time with the intention of ensnaring rather than slicing. With a flick of his wrist, the blades of his weapon coiled around the Eldrazi's tentacles. Gideon yanked, pulling the Eldrazi backward and off course, away from the refugees. But he hadn't considered the physics of a sky battle. Without anything to counter the force of his assault, Gideon, Sebel, and the Manta were whipped through the air in the opposite direction. They dipped and faltered, Sebel scrambling to regain control. Let it go! Gideon flicked his surl, attempting to release the Eldrazi, but two of the blades of his weapon were tangled around the tentacle, caught. He couldn't pull it free. The Eldrazi bucked and the Manta was jerked to the side. Let go! Gideon realized she meant for him to let go of the surl, but too late. He lost his seat and slid off the Manta's curved back. For a moment, he plummeted through the sky. 
Then his surl jerked him to a sudden halting stop, and he was left swinging from the Eldrazi's backside. He watched Sebel and the Manta plunge toward the ground. The whole ordeal hadn't won him any time. The Eldrazi was still on course. Dangling from it, Gideon could make out the scars and wounds on the refugee's arms and legs. Stay away from them! Using his surl like a winch, the way he had seen Abina do, Gideon pulled himself up the Eldrazi's tentacles and onto the bony plates of its back. The beastly thing thrashed and twisted, reaching for him with four arms that bent unnaturally backward, and still somehow maintained its heading. Gideon channeled the magic of his protective, glowing shields, putting one up first on his side, then his front, and then his leg, blocking all of its appendages as he climbed up the bony plates toward the Eldrazi's head. He grabbed hold of its thinner head tentacles that looked vaguely like antennae, and used them like reins, snapping the monster's head back. Then he thrust it forward, putting all of his weight into it and forcing the Eldrazi into a nosedive. The thing reared and spasmed, flinging its tentacles about, but Gideon did not let up. I told you to stay away! With a final thrust of power, he drove the Eldrazi straight into the ground, putting his whirling shields of magic up just in time to protect himself from the impact. The crash dislodged his surl, and Gideon snapped it back, winding it up. He jumped off the Eldrazi, and with his next breath, he lashed out at the monstrosity, once, twice, again, slicing off tentacle after tentacle, ripping into the tenderest parts of its flesh. The thing shattered and squealed. The unnatural noises only spurred Gideon on. He would slash the Eldrazi once for every Zendikari that had been lost to its kind, and once more for those who would soon be lost. All the people were doing was trying to survive, but there were too many of the monsters. Too many that would come endlessly, spreading across the land. Forever. It would never end. The Zendikari would never be safe. How would they ever survive? How? A pile of Eldrazi gore and strips of flesh lay at Gideon's feet. There was nothing left to destroy. He dropped his arm, and his surl fell motionless at his side. They couldn't retreat to Zulaport. No matter what Vorg said. No matter what Tazri said. The people of Skyrock would never survive this. They would never make it across to Zim, let alone across the sea. There were too many Eldrazi. They had to stay. If they wanted to survive, they had to stay here. But what if they wanted to do more than survive? A gust of wind and the beating of leathery wings drew Gideon's attention. He turned to see Sebel hovering not far above, looking on, questioning in her eyes. Did they make it to the camp? She nodded. Take me back. She directed the man to lower so Gideon could climb on. Before Gideon stepped off the manta's back, he could hear Tazri's raised voice. She was arguing with the new group of refugees. Gideon jogged over. The Seagate can't fall! A core in the party grunted as though the idea was absurd. It has. We evacuated a few days ago. It is lost. No. The old woman with long silver-gray hair who Gideon had seen from above gripped Tazri's arm. No. This 
She held up her other hand and lifted one bony, wrinkled finger. This is what we fought for. This is why... She bit her knuckle to fight back a sob. You have no idea. Do you know how far we have come? The royal, four times. That monstrous Aldrazi? The swarm of them in the river. Tho, Zuri, Day, Itri. They all fell knowing that we would find... No. This is why we came. She brandished her finger in Tazri's face. This is Seagate. Seagate is Zendikar's only hope. Seagate is all we have left. We came for Seagate. The others behind her held up their fingers, too. Gideon recognized the gesture. The first band of refugees had made the same display. Their fingers were a sign for the lighthouse. Seagate, their hope. I'm sorry. Seagate is gone. You can come with us to Andu. A young woman in the group balked. Andu? There's hardly anything left of Andu. Everyone from Andu is going to Seagate. So is everyone from Akum. Even some of the vampires from Guldraz. And now you're telling us, all of us, after all that we lost, after all that we fought, that there is nothing? There is no end? This can't be true. Please, this can't be true. She looked from Tazri to Gideon. Silent tears streamed down her cheeks, and Gideon felt her desperation. This couldn't be true. It's the commander. Abina's voice cut in, clipped and rushed from behind. Gideon turned. He called for you. She was looking at Tazri. I'm sorry. I have to go. She was already running for Vork's tent. Both of you. Gideon, he wants you too. Now. Gideon could see it in her eyes. Vork would not live to see the sun again. Stay with them, Abina. The Corps nodded solemnly. Gideon left the small group of refugees and raced across the Hedron behind Tazri. She looked back at him. There are no new rations. You didn't go hunting. Gideon caught up with her and held open the flap of Vork's tent. No. I didn't have the chance. Now was not the time for Vork to die. Gideon was not ready to answer to Tazri. Inside the commander's tent, it was stuffy and smelled of dry, rotten fungus. The smell of Eldrazi corruption. It came from Vork's breath. Three healers stood back against the far wall, silently vigilant. Gideon knelt at the commander's bedside, and Tazri stood behind. Sir, where... We're here. Vorik opened his eyes. They were bloodshot and had the look of cracked glass. I hear there are new arrivals. Yes. It's a small party. Refugees. There are more coming every day. They were going to Seagate. Vorik shook his head regretfully. Seagate. Tazri glared at Gideon, a look that told him to stop talking. But he felt the urgent need to speak up. Vorik had to know the truth, now before he passed. Now while he could still decide the fate of the people here. They're coming from all across the world, sir. From all the other places that are falling to the Eldrazi. Akum, Guldraz, 
and Ondu. Seagate <coughs> should never have fallen. Vorak was still shaking his head, lost in thought. He didn't seem to have heard Gideon. He looked to Tazri. And our preparations for the evacuation. We're on track, sir. The new numbers mean we'll need to collect a few more rations, but we can leave within the week. If everyone does their part. She shot another glare at Gideon. I have mapped a route across Tazim and- A route that will be rife with Eldrazi. The safest route we could find. There is no safe route across Tazim. There's no safe route on all of Zendikar. Our journey will be dangerous, yes, but we knew that. And I have been assured by our scouts that once we make it to the coast, there will be boats waiting to take us across the sea. Boats that just made land. Boats that carried refugees away from places like Akum and Ondu. Because those places have fallen. Tazri's nostrils flared, and the halo around her neck blazed. She turned on Gideon. I hear you. We all hear you. You don't want us to evacuate. You don't want us to go to Zulaport. No, I don't. So what would you have us do instead? Stay here? Sit on this rock, vulnerable and exposed, and wait for them to come for us? Wait to die? No. Gideon realized he did, in fact, have another plan. Sometime between slaughtering the flying Eldrazi, talking to the refugees, and seeing the cracks in Vorik's eyes, he had worked out what had to be done. He looked at the commander, meeting Vorik's fading gaze. I would have us go back to Seagate. What? Impossible. Seagate has fallen, Gideon. Vorik coughed, a cloud of dust rising up out of his mouth and floating in the air between them. It's overrun. It's lost. Part of Gideon wanted to look away from the dust, from the dying commander. But he respected and cared for the man too much. He didn't so much as blink. It can stand again, sir. We can take it back. We gather an army here at Sky Rock. We're already halfway there with all the refugees that are pouring in. Once we have enough soldiers, we surround it just like they did. And we move back in and reclaim what is ours. You yourself said that is the most strategic location on all of Zendikar. We need Seagate, sir. We need it to- You're insane. You were there, Gideon. For most of the battle, at least. You saw our people fall. You saw the swarms of Eldrazi. How can you possibly think we stand a chance? The Eldrazi won't stay there for long. Eldrazi don't operate like the sentient armies we know. They have no interest in keeping Seagate. They feed on what they can, and then they'll pass through, just like they pass through any other place. They'll pass through, and come straight for us. We can't leave soon enough. There's nowhere left to go, Tazri. You keep saying that we have to evacuate, but there's nowhere to evacuate to. Gideon clenched his fists. Why couldn't she see? Zulaport! We're going to Zulaport. Commander's orders. And what's to say that Zulaport won't be gone too once we get there? What's to say it's not gone now? This is the end. The Eldrazi are taking over everything. If we don't make a stand now, all of Zendikar will be destroyed. Enough! <coughs> Clouds of dust shot up out of the air with each hack. The three healers pushed past Gideon and Tazri. 
Gideon stood, taking a step back away from the commander's bedside. Fool. You're a fool. You would march these people, my people, Vorik's people, to their deaths. No. I would give them a chance to live. Their chance for survival is at Zulaport. You know that as well as I do. Survival is no longer enough, Tazri. How can you say that? Survival is the only thing. I didn't see it either. Not until just now. I've been so focused on what's in front of us. We all have, but we have to look at the bigger picture. Gideon recognized Jace's words on his lips. In this case, the Mind Mage had been right. It's not just Seagate that has been overrun. The swarms of Eldrazi are taking everything. They're everywhere. I've seen them myself. If we don't act now, if we don't fight back, then this world will be lost. Everything and everyone on it will be destroyed. Except for you. You will just leave. Gideon blinked, taken aback by her accusation. But before he could counter, Vorik's voice rang out. Stand down! For a moment, it sounded like the commander's strength had been restored, like he was shouting orders on the battlefield. Stop clamoring around me and step back already. Give an old dying man a chance to breathe. He was talking to the healers. Your work here is done. He nodded at them, his look firm. Thank you for all you have done, but it is over. He looked past the healers. Tessary, Gideon, come, time is short. As the healers somberly stepped back, Gideon and Tazri approached. I am dying, and you are arguing. Sir. Now is not the time for arguing. <coughs> now is the time to listen. Listen to each other. You're each other's most valuable assets. Gideon glanced at Tazri, but she continued to stare down at Vork, stone-faced. If you will not listen to each other, at least listen to me. There is something important I must tell you. Vorik propped himself up ever so slightly. He licked his dry lips, but his tongue was even drier. Flakes fell from both. He cleared his throat. When I was cornered out on the battlefield, when that Eldrazi monstrosity pierced me with its corrupted essence, it was the most terrible thing I had ever experienced. Gideon tensed. But in that moment, it wasn't terror that I felt. Not even regret. No, what I felt was relief. I am ashamed to say it, but it's true. I felt relief that I would get to take the easy way out. That I wouldn't have to stay and face what came next. Beside Gideon, Tazri shifted. <clears throat> But then, I thought of my people. I thought of all the Zendikari. And I felt remorse. I would be gone. And they would be here. And you would be here. And you would have to watch the world end. 
that there is still a chance for Zendikar. Gideon Jura, you have given me hope. He held up a finger. Gideon thought that the commander was indicating they should wait, that he was fighting another cough, but then he saw it. Seagate. Vorak held his finger high, and then he turned it to point to Gideon. These people need to be inspired, the same way you have inspired me. They need to fight hope, just as I have. They need a leader who sees the weight of victory, no matter the circumstances. When I'm gone, you will lead these people. <coughs> you will reclaim Seagate. Commander General Jura. Sir. No. Tezri, you are strong, and you are brave, and you have been my most loyal advisor. But you are too close. You are too close to me, to my ideas, to Zendigar. This world needs a fresh perspective. These people need a new reason to believe. But... You know Zendikar better than anyone. Better, perhaps, than I do. That's why the commander will need your help. You will stand by him, as you have stood by me. You can't do this, sir. He's not even a Zendikari. Vork coughed again, <coughs> a hard, racking cough that brought up a chunk of corruption as large as a coin. He fought for breath, shaking his head. It doesn't matter where he came from, Tesri. He has a Zendikari stubborn spirit. Vorak reached out to Gideon. Gideon closed his thick fingers around the commander's wilting hand. Don't lose that spirit. Don't lose this land. I will not, sir. I leave Zendikar to you. Gideon! <coughs> his body convulsed, and then his hand fell limp inside Gideon's. The funeral was held at sunrise at the edge of the Hedron, looking out over the land. The Zendikari sang hymns, their voices starting low and strong, and swelling into something tumultuous and daring. Gideon joined in when he could, but Tazri's sidelong glances confirmed that he was off-key. Commander Vorik's body was wrapped carefully in cloths, and the Zendikari at the camp formed a circle around their fallen leader. In turn, each of them knelt and, with a dark charcoal rock, drew a mark on the burial cloth, whispering a chanted message as they did. It came to be Gideon's turn. You don't know what to say, so say nothing. Gideon knelt. He picked up the dark charcoal rock and made the mark in silence. Tazri was right. He didn't know the words of the burial. But he did know what to say. He stood, inhaling a great lungful of Zendikari air, and let the scent of the wild land fill him. He looked out at the people of Skyrock. His people. Today we have lost much. More than just our commander, we are left without our leader, 
our champion, our guiding light. Like the lighthouse at Seagate, Commander General Vorok stood tall and true even in the face of greatest adversity. And even though he is gone, we must do as he did, because we now face the greatest adversity Zendikar has ever known. In the same way that the corruption spread to claim our friend's body, so too do the corrupting monsters spread across this land. Each day is worse. Each day there are more. Each day they take more. We cannot let them do this any longer. He nodded to Vorik's body. We have seen what happens when they're allowed to rampage at will. We cannot let what happened to our leader happen to this world. He paused, looking around at the fallen, desperate faces. We have a choice before us today. We can choose to leave Skyrock. We'll be ready to evacuate within the week. We have rations and supplies. Boats wait for us at the harbor. We can retreat to Zulaport. The people leaned in, anxious. But if that's what we choose, many of us will not make it. The journey will be dangerous. We will encounter scores of Eldrazi across the land and in the waters. I have been across the sea. I have seen the Eldrazi at Ondu, Kabira, Fort Kef, and all places in between. They are everywhere. And every day there are more. They might already be at Zulaport. Those of us who do make it to Zulaport may find nothing but more Eldrazi. Tazri made to argue, but Gideon held up his hand and continued. Or perhaps we will find that the safe hold still stands. But if that is so, for how long? How long will anything stand? He glanced at Tazri. There is no saying. But at some point, if we choose Zulaport, Zulaport will fall. It will fall just as Seagate fell, just as every other part of Zendikar is falling. If we choose to retreat, we will be destroyed along with this world. It was a hard truth, but it was the truth. And these people deserved to know the truth. They had to know the truth. But we do have another choice. We can choose to fight back. We can choose to stop running. We can choose to go on the offensive, to stand tall and true in the face of the greatest adversity. I stand before you today as your commander, and I ask you to choose to fight. I ask you to help me, help me gather every Zendikari from all corners of the world, from every continent, every last Zendikari who is willing to fight. We will assemble right here at Skyrock. The full strength of Zendikar will converge in one place, and with that force we will fight. With the might of the world behind us, we cannot lose. We will use that power to reclaim Seagate. A murmur rose up from the gathered crowd, but Gideon continued. There was more they had to hear, more he had to say. Seagate is the heart of this world. It is the most strategic location, filled with weapons, food, and supplies. Fortifiable. Defensible. Reclaiming it is only the first step. From there, we launch our own attack. We become the predators. We hunt the invaders. We wipe out the corruptors. We spread across the land and we take back what is ours. We take back Zendikar. 
He looked at the gathered Zendikari in turn. Who is with me? For Zendikar! For Zendikar! Abina added her call, and cheers rose up from the gathered crowd with such a force that the voices shook the very hedron the people stood on. For Zendikar! Gideon looked at Tazri. She was standing at his side, her arms crossed. I will not leave. I am here to the end. Tazri met his gaze. You have my word. I will battle Vizendikar. The halo around Tazri's neck glowed brightly, its light catching the wetness in her eyes. She nodded. For Zendikar, Commander, I will battle too. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. The Survivors of Skyrock was written by Kimberly J. Crines. The podcast was produced and edited by Gin Dokeshi, with sound editing by Grace Noir. This week's story featured the voice talents of David Ford, Lindsay G, Knockshade, Carolyn Potts, Purple Rogue, Christina Edelman, Rhythm Bastard, and Gamer Dragon. Voice of All is unofficial fan content permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening. Y'all have a great day. <laughs>